And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod. We're here as uh, we are every week. The three of us are all in the same city, and I would venture to guess about maybe a four mile radius tops Less not even that, dude probably one to two as the crow flies definitely the same zip code yeah we're all <laughs> we're all here in the same zip code but uh not in the same actual place we're, we're on zoom but the place that we live in san jose california born and raised um is the second most expensive fucking city to live in uh Dave, give me give me the other two in the top three. <laughs> San Jose is number two. What are one and three? Oof, that's a tough one because uh, I would actually go with uh, San Jose, um, San Francisco. Yep, Ding, number one. Right, number one, and then number three, Nate, New York, Oakland. Oh, oh. yeah. So the Bay Area. So if, you, if you watch KTVU for your uh, your news. <laughs> You live in the most expensive place in the world. Pretty much. If you're within range of uh, of, of Cameo's uh, So no signal. own ownership. Own, yeah. Home ownership is what you're saying. Exactly. Uh, so as we sit here in our, our rental uh, closets doing this podcast, <laughs> uh, subject to the forces of capitalism, we're keeping it rolling, though. My name is Demo Carter, a.k.a. Dib One. I am joined by Mr. Nate LeBlanc. What's happening, man? Uh, feeling the rental struggle pretty hard this week for reasons yeah. I won't get into on mic to avoid lawsuits. Okay, just <laughs> if you guys go, uh, Chance the Rapper's most listened to song right now is called Hot Water. <laughs> um, <laughs> so no, it's called Hot Shower. Excuse me. <laughs> Listen to Hot Shower, and you you understand what what Nate's going through. Uh, also joined by David Ma. What's happening, man? Yo, what's up, guys? Good to see you guys. Good to be back. You know, things are uh, things are going pretty well for us. And, uh, you know, let's get this momentum. Keep it going. That's right. Uh, so we're, we're rolling along here. Episode 180, Dad Bod, Rap Pod. Um, we have an interview coming up with Sky Zoo in just a bit. But to kind of set the context for our conversation with him and his album, all the brilliant things, which is uh, an album of the year candidate. Uh, we talk about it in an interview. He goes into uh, his own candidacy, uh, which I thought was was fun. Um, but we we basically uh, listening to the album. It is a kind of a lament on gentrification and what happened to Sky Zoo's uh, home of Brooklyn over the past couple decades. Um, and it's it's very well done. If you haven't heard it, even if you weren't a Sky Zoo fan, and I don't know that we were all uh, the biggest Sky Zoo fans before this record, but I highly encourage you to check it out. But it does uh, bring to to the forefront this issue, which is part of living in any city in America right now, but maybe a little bit under-discussed in rap. Rap is a very locale-centric art form. Everybody's trying to rep a place, uh, but... To our knowledge, there's only a couple records that really deep dive into this uh, subject. So we have all the brilliant things by Sky Zoo. And then, Nate, can you just really quick touch on uh, the Von P project, City for Sale? 
Yeah, um, and we'll, we'll get more into this relatively soon, hint, hint. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, in 2019, Von P from Tanya Morgan dropped a, a kind of gentrification rap record called City for Sale. Um, I believe also about Brooklyn. So yep. uh, Brooklyn must be going through it right now. Like, is Man. it like Starbucks on every corner? Like, <laughs> I haven't been in a couple of years. Has it gotten really that bad? Uh, but it appears to be uh, the subject matter for some of the music that we like. Um, and then, you know, it's a little bit before we were using this term, but kind of every early coup record touches on these themes right. as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised if literally it says that in one of these things, I want to say in Fat Cats and Bigger Fish, mm. he does use the term gentrification. Uh, I was actually amazed to see, speaking of Brooklyn, in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, the infamous scene where they're, they run into the white dude with the Larry Bird jersey, um, they do. They, he screams, he just bought this brownstone, and they're like, that's gentrification. This is like 1989. So it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a new phenomenon, but it's one that I think has interesting implications for rappers. Uh, we're going to talk to Sky Zoo, native Brooklynite, moved to Atlanta. Um, I believe Von P doesn't live in Brooklyn anymore. Um, we may allegedly have not talked to him recently. So uh, it, it just got me to wondering, like, um, what does it mean for, for rap music when the creators of the music may not be able to live um, in the cities in which they were born and raised? To opine first, I would like to introduce to you gentrification survivor, Longtime San Jose and Nate LeBlanc. What, what, what do you say, Nate? How, how is this going to affect the rap game? Well, I just think it's interesting. And we've actually been talking about this a lot lately. And like, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but I've actually kind of come around to think that it's true that you don't need to actually live somewhere to rep it. Okay. Like being from there is enough. Knowing the stories and the intricacies and the narrative of the place is enough and like especially because when people become successful they tend to move leave anyway Um, they don't need to necessarily be around all the people they came up with there might be better opportunities for them in other places you start thinking about things like school districts and quiet and things of that nature so i think it's fairly common for people to get big in rap on whatever level you are and whatever Mm -hmm. that means and then to kind of leave but that doesn't mean you don't rep where you're from or you don't uh, continue to talk about where you're from in your music and I don't think there's anything wrong with that no Dave uh, is there a date of expiration like if you move out of Santa Clara for (laughs) 30 30 years can you at what point are you are you can you not be repping that anymore or, or does it matter uh, I think it, it really depends on the type of artist you are and what you rep and how you rep. But in general, I, I kind of agree with Nate that, you know, just, you know, given technology, the internet, streaming online, you know, all that sort of makes it easier to transcend regionalism these days. But, you know, gentrification is a real ass fucking thing that does affect real ass people. And some of these yeah. real ass people are rappers, you know, yeah. and um, yeah. what immediately came to mind and I didn't really get a chance to, uh, talk about it on the last program, but uh, Gift of Gab has a, has a song called The Gentrification Song, uh, Gift of Gab. R. Oh, R. okay, okay. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was really uh, interesting. It's actually a later era Gab song that's off of an EP. And, um, you know, it really encapsulates um, all the community changes that he noticed through 
stray observations. And, you know, he talks about systemic uh, displacement of the working class and loss of loss of culture and, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And it just made me think like, yo, this is the same gift of gab who towards the end of his life had to go on GoFundMe to try yeah. to get his medical bills paid. Yeah. So, and this is the same gift of gab who's a successful rapper, right. legend signed to a major, you know what I mean? And if yeah. he can't, if he can't afford to live in his city and pay his bills, like the fuck are we doing? So anyway, so I know it's a bit scattershot, but I mean, you know, talking about hip hop getting gentrified and getting exploited. I mean, hip hop was exploited right, right after it was um, invented. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. I I guess I I don't have a really full point besides just being a little downtrodden Uh, talking about it. Oh, it's, 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 it's heavy. I think, uh, what I've realized through a lot through doing these interviews um, is that while yes, the, the, a rapper at a certain level does move, right. Unless you're from New York or LA and you can kind of still stay in the area, but a rapper who gets to a certain level does move. And it's usually not perceived that as that big of a deal. But what it makes me think about is like when we talk to Dell and it's like, Dell, you still in Oakland, Berkeley? No, I live in Richmond. You know what I mean? And you talk, you know, we talk to Sadat X. He's like, I'm in North Carolina. Um, so it's it's rappers at this other strata who are subject to more of the of the cycles of gentrification uh, than, you know, a Jay-Z or, or baby or, or whatever. Nate? Uh, Snoop Dogg, mm-hmm. uh, house up in the hills, way up in Chino, uh, <laughs> coaching football. It's a status symbol to have left. Long Beach, right? Right, right. It's like he 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 goes and turns it into like a um, aspirational thing, and yeah, I don't think yeah. it's because Long Beach was gentrified, but I think it was because he was ready to change oh, and his lifestyle. And, and then there's that, Cal- Cal- Calabasas, all that. Like right. there is this kind of like, hey, I made it out of my neighborhood. Ice Cube right. famously stayed in South Central longer than he longer than a lot of rappers did, and he kind of wore that on his back. But then I saw an interview with him where he was like, mm, somebody could run up in here and snatch one of my kids. And you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I make so much money, I am a target. So I understand that rappers want to create a sense of, of separation once you get to a certain level of status and fame. Right. But as we know, the rap, you know, there's levels to this shit. Um, and How about it's- this, Damone? Like, you kind of work in social work. You're very eloquent on these subjects. Like, why don't, why don't you tell us what, what is gentrification really and how... How did how is it relevant here? Not here, San Jose. Here, hip hop. Like, give us in, give us in the, the, the dem one breakdown. Well, I I feel like from what I understand, and I want to pretend to be an expert, but from from what I understand, you have these forces within capitalism, right? That did declare a certain place desirable, and then the folks on the lower rungs in those places, working class people, your right. your teachers, your your firefighters. All those folks, once an area is targeted to be desirable, um, are become expendable. And so we see this in our city. Uh, Google recently bought a, a huge humongous campus here. Um, it makes property values go up. Uh, wages are not going up to match those increasing property values and rents that are going up. And so we have people that work in San Jose, but live 50 to 70 miles away. Um, there is a thought in this town anyway that like if we ever have a major disaster god help the firefighters that are coming in from tracy um and you know which is like 50 plus miles outside of our city to come help so 
it's it's a it's a societal problem. I think we face a lot on the West Coast because we have excellent weather and all the things that people want in San Francisco and Oakland, especially our hip cities. I don't get the San Jose thing. Um, I can almost fathom paying ridiculous rates to live in a Manhattan or San Francisco or maybe even Oakland. Um, we are getting ripped off. Like I, I need more amenities for this level of rent, but that's my own little lament. Um, so I think rappers that occupy those regular, you know, dude levels in the game are just subject to it. And, and what makes it, it makes me worry in the sense that I think it's fine if you get big and you leave and you can have technology and you can still rep it, but what does it do for the scenes in those cities? So San Francisco, for instance, um, had a vibrant rap scene at one point, but now it is everybody who's repping it don't live there. Larry June doesn't live there. You know what I mean? Rapping Fote and them don't live there. Um, and what does it do for uh, that next generation? I, I can't even really think of what, knowing what I know about San Francisco, what is the rap scene that will foment there um, when it costs so much to live? And so I feel like maybe what will happen, there'll be this like exodus to other places. You know, we had a Pink Steve one. He was talking a lot about right. cats out in Cincinnati and uh, his folks in Alabama and things. And so part of it is like rap will always be around as long as there's a, you know, a couple folks and a mic or something. Um, but I think what we may lose is these very rich stories about America's uh, quote unquote greatest cities. Um, what's going to happen to another uh, generation down the line of Brooklyn rappers when nobody can live in Brooklyn or the only people that live in Brooklyn are rappers from other areas who have a little bit of coin and decided to move to Brooklyn. It be, the stories are different. You don't get an MOP in a gentrified Brooklyn. You just don't. You know what I mean? You may, you may not even right. get Jay-Z's origin story in the gentrified Brooklyn. Like it's just, it's going to look a lot different. So um, I don't know. But, I don't, I don't you, have an answer, but. But you know, you're going to get like a hundred uh, SoundCloud, uh, SoundCloud rap songs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and so it, it sort of transcends regionalism in that sense. I mean, if you're some kid who's repping Brooklyn hard and you live in Atlanta, that's just fucking fake. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, 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 but if you're just some fucking SoundCloud rapper with tattoos on your face and you're rapping about sort of bullshit anyways, then it, the regionalism really doesn't matter to me. You know what I mean? Like as a kid, when I was listening to NWA in 1989, I wasn't like they're from LA. I was just like, I like the music and the cussing and it's funny and it's taboo. You know what I mean? And that can still exist just through the internet. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, Dave. Like how much does like this amount of being online make the scene less place dependent? It's more like mm. which website, mm. which group exactly. chat which right. service do you use to upload your music? Like the, the things that define a scene are changing. And right. it doesn't not, really They're not matter. geographic locations. They're not geographic yeah. location. Yeah. It's yeah. no longer just turf. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's, not, it's not where you're from. It's what platform you're at. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think the other thing too is I've realized through doing the show, everybody's just touring. And I'm always surprised when you learn that you know, people are living in all kinds of places. I think in part because they're just not there that much. Like, why would you pay New York, LA prices if you're only home a hundred some odd days a year, you know? Right. So I think it, it does speak to the kind of um, placelessness of, uh, of the contemporary rap moment. But, you know, I'm an oldie. I, I, I really like this idea of um, rap being a voice for for people, you know, I, I want the New York rap story. 
Um, I happen to do think L- L.A. or Compton anyway, um, which I'm not sure is getting gentrified, but I'm, if they're not, it's got to be on the way. Um, I do think that people living in America's greatest, biggest cities have a particular set of stories to tell, um, or at least they have historically. And I think one of the byproducts of gentrification could be um, the loss of these stories, which I think Sky Zoo touches on pretty eloquently uh, with all the brilliant things. Um, it's a really strong record. It's a concept record that stays on concept, which is um, something that doesn't always happen. Nate, um, we're we're getting to the, the last quarter of the year. Oh, that's crazy to say. It, it really is. It really is. Where does um, where does all the brilliant things kind of hold up for you in terms of uh, of the album of the year conversation? Oh, it's really strong. It's a um, it's a, it's a really really well put together record. The rhyming is impeccable. Um, the beats just make a ton of sense and are a huge storytelling element. It's um, it's got really tasteful um kind of places where there's like singing and amplification of the messages through the like all the the ancillary things that are not sky zoo's voice and Mm. um it is one of those things where i was really really into it and then when when he talked to us about it i was like dang i was like i wasn't wrong but i was just like i I, there's more to this than even i was Mm. catching so i need to go back and listen to this again but um yeah we've talked a little bit about this mostly online but like none of us were like I don't, I don't think really got Sky Zoo. And then on this record, I'm just like, oh, I get it now. Mm-hmm. And like, so it's mm-hmm. cool to like, and now there's a ton of material to go back and reassess or just to re-listen right. to and just to be like, you know, he's just a really, really strong writer. And there's yeah. a lot to his raps. And like, as someone who appreciates intricate rapping, like there's, there's just a lot to unpack, which is something that I enjoy doing so yeah I don't know if it's like my favorite record of the year but it is one of the most well-made records of the year and I'm sure it'll be on whatever list I end up writing because it's just it's a complete statement it's just like it's it it, in that way it feels like an older record because it's Mm. not one of it's not a seven minute or seven song 22 minute right EP record with like a cover from Google Images it's like this is a full-on record that was thought about deliberated over edited rewritten mastered you know like just everything is really really careful and like i I admire that to be honest it's not really the wave right now and so to do something that feels so full is just like really impressive absolutely dave where where is this album kind of ranking for you as you think about uh the dope records of this year i think you know um at this very moment at least top 10 and you know sort of to echo uh, nate sentiments i mean i do really enjoy how it's a conventional album. It's not seven songs that are one minute. They're well thought out, fully produced. And on that tip, I love the production a lot. I think it it makes a lot of sense. It's very fitting, it's intricate, um, it's colorful. And um, with Sky Zoo, he's somebody who, you know, frankly, and just to be honest, I sort of dismissed. I probably heard a few songs and thought they were just tight. You know what I mean? But moving forward with this, this does feel like a, com- a complete statement, more like completely thought out, you know, on, mm-hmm. on, on every sort of um, tangent he addresses. And the storytelling factor is so well done, like so yes. well done. The storytelling yeah. tracks, I can't remember the tracks offhand. But um, they are just completely so well done and just really immersive. And, you know, getting a chance to talk to them and sort of getting the insight behind the beats and the rhymes, I think, mm-hmm. you know, gives you a, a more fleshed out, um, uh, a fleshed out idea of the album. 
Yeah, no, it, it was great to talk to him. He is one of those rappers that um, not only is he intricate, but uh, you will hear in the interview, he's very introspective about his own work, which I, I don't think is true of all rappers, or at least he's willing to talk to you about it um, in a way. And so, yeah, it talking to him definitely deepened my appreciation for the record. I, I think it's a it's it's a top five, top three record this year. I mean, that you know, Haram is Haram, and that'll be tough to beat. My Combi's Pray for Haiti is an, is an amazing record as well. But um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting when we get down to that time. I'm already having listicle stress right now. I'm like, <laughs> what albums am I not listening to that I need to listen to so I don't get fixated on just two of them right. and have nothing to say at the end of the year, which pundits, please don't fall in love with one album. Uh, and then put together some bullshit at the end of the year. Just, I know we're kind of running out of time here, but just like to get it on the record, like such intense discourse about the Vince Staples for like three days. But th- but then it totally it totally like faded out. <laughs> yeah, like kind of like his album. Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> did you guys watch the NPR home Tiny Desk concert thing he did? He's like in this oh. beautiful like I don't know what you call it like chalet looking room <laughs> in like the hollywood hills and he just does a couple of the songs oh, including cool. one with uh one of the the ladies who sings on the record and kenny beats is on bass there's a drummer oh nice there's a guy playing i think keys and one playing guitar or something and i was just like see this is good like i don't know it's just this like our, nice. our, our our tepid embrace of the vince staples was uh lightly controversial for a couple of days so yeah. I just thought I'd bring that up on the show I don't know where that's going to land in these album of the year things but just a lot of our especially like in our kind of tighter circle uh, music writer bros hated that thing the, the was punditry like, was was in a was in a flutter about uh, about the record I, I, I kind of feel like it was I think I said this on a previous episode he kind of just checked in and gave you the album just to, just to kind of give you an album and I think for folks because he has such a outsized presence on Twitter and just kind of in the culture. Um, I think some of the writer bros just wanted more like, you know what I mean? They wanted a more complete statement. They wanted something that they could really sink their teeth into. And like Vince gave you tapas. He's like, <laughs> have a couple plates, have a little bit. You're going to still see me. I feel like he probably has a bunch of more stuff um, in the can and he he just gave you some he gave you some cool joints. I don't I don't know that it's anything. My whole take was I don't know if we should be arguing about this, bro. I just I feel like <laughs> yeah, he's 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 just a person. It's a personality at this point. So it's like a Vince Staples, the personality doing a rap record. And like yeah. you know, it's up to you to take it how how seriously as you want to take it. I'm not gonna like I'm not that butt hurt that it's not like the most deepest contemplative introspective shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nor nor do I want to hear like his fucking. Um, house rap album you know so for <laughs> so for for all intents and purposes this sort of falls neatly for me okay vince checked all the boxes for you as long as he uh he stays away from 120 bpm uh, gives you <laughs> gives you a cool little rap record um yeah it's it's very interesting i don't see that hitting too many lists um coming out at the end of the year as if I, artists I, care about these things i'll just say this it was the number one album in the country the week it came out i know that doesn't mean sure. what it used to mean but like sure that's a pretty big record. Right. right. I think Vince is a, is a, like I said, he's just, he's a persona. He's a guy that, that people are checking for. And if I would agree with any of the, of the quibbling, it's like, ah, we need a little bit more record from you, bro. 
if for you to be at that level that you are, you're not an artist on the come up. This is a self-titled album too, which is like that fake debut album thing that artists mm-hmm. do now. Um, and there wasn't, if I'm going to agree with any of the nitpicking, there wasn't enough there, there. There's not a smash single. I don't think there's anything that people are going to be talking about in a couple months, but we will be talking about Vince Staples. Because it's just kind of funny because funny. like we don't cover smash single rap. You know what I mean? Like that. There's no smash single on any of the albums we're talking about. There's no smash single on "Pray for Haiti." There's no smash single on this Sky Zoo record, for instance. Like we don't, we don't care about that. We just care if the rapping is good, right? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I felt like there were straight bangers on on uh, FM Vince Staples' uh, 2018 record, and everybody everybody is judged by a different rubric. I, I don't That's expect Sky Zoo to have a summer banger. Um, I don't even expect Vince to have one. But if if we are for his album to kind of gain traction, he would have to have one or do something deeply introspective. He kind of did the middle of that, which is like, here are some cool rap songs with me and Kenny beats. Um, and I don't think it was enough for people. I just think folks were a little bit. I'm late. Sammy semantics. You're emerging into Rick rubric. <laughs> <laughs> Rick rubric. Dave, Dave is basically immune to nicknames. So we'll- oh, man. <laughs> because of concision, his whole name is like what fucking seven letters. <laughs> <laughs> he is like the fucking jizzes raps in a, in a person just very succinct um all right so uh that was uh our our little uh intro to sky zoo we we did a little uh vince staples detour we're gonna get back on the 405 um and intro this interview with sky zoo um my only regret about this interview I did not ask any ghostwriter questions. I had a whole set of mm. ghostwriter questions. He is renowned as one of the uh, one of the preeminent ghostwriters in the game, and I I don't know exactly who he writes for, but I can. There's a couple guys, him, Mick Jenkins, uh, uh, Jay Electronica, who I go. These guys are writing stuff for people. So is it um, like you want to ask him, but and even though we can't tell you, you think like by body language and like. Oh, I had some like technique, like, tell, like I, I didn't want him to out. tell. I'm like, I don't want you to ruin your business model. Don't get me right, wrong. Right, but right. I had questions like, okay, when does somebody approach you about an autobiographical joint? Wale is also a very prolific mm, uh, nice. ghostwriter. And when I hear Rick Ross telling these really personal stories and like very good couplets, I go, so do you go to Wale and be like, my mom had this condition when I was four and then blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm just... I'm fascinated by it. The interview didn't go that way, but um, those are the questions I, I kind of left on the table. But with that being said, he really digs into all the brilliant things, uh, his interesting origin story as a rapper, uh, growing up down the street from Big. I'm going to stop hyping it up and let y'all listen to it. This is our interview with Sky Zoo, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, every week we feature conversations with people who are moving and shaping hip-hop culture. 
This week is no different. Joining us in Zoom, we have a rapper whose new album, All the Brilliant Things, is a definite album of the year candidate. He's been around for a while, though. We're going to chop it up about his entire career. Welcome to the program, Sky Zoo. What's good? Yeah, yeah. Peace. What's up, fellas? How y'all doing? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. Let's uh let's start at the beginning. You're you're a BK native, uh, you know, famously uh grew up around the corner from from notorious BIG, and uh you cited him as a as a reference um or as an inspiration. Uh two-part question. How did that proximity like affect you uh as you were coming up as an artist is it was literally just knowing he was around the corner was it you know was it uh people like trying to be like him that influenced you and also uh if you've seen the most recent documentary i wanted to get your uh feedback on on how you felt about that yeah uh so the first part you know growing up up the block literally like it was up the block so like the same block, St. James Place. So my crib was 133, his was 226. Mm. So like, if you look up 226 St. James, everybody know that's big crib. You go a half a block back off Gates going towards Green. Um, anybody watching from, you know, from Brooklyn or from the neighborhood know the streets I'm talking about. If you're going towards Green, 133, that was my crib. So literally up the block, you just do a straight line for a minute tops. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And you right there. And you know, with that, it was just inspiration on a thousand, you know what I mean? Because like when you were a kid, you know, nowadays I think a lot of people rhyme at a young age, kids, whatever. When I started rhyming, I was nine and it wasn't the most common thing for a nine-year-old to want to do mm-hmm. unless there was a parent behind them or somebody trying to turn them into something. ABC, right. crisscross, right. the youngsters, you know, right. all those guys. And I grew up on all of them too, because they were like my age. So I loved all that. But uh, for me, it was just me. You know, nobody in my family makes music. You know, I'm the first one. You know, I'm, I'm the first kind of seed in this whole thing as far as musical talent and all that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. I say all that to say I was a young kid saying, yo, I want to rap. When everybody was like, yo, I'm going to the NBA. I thought I was going to the NBA too. But, yeah. uh, you know, for me, it was like, yo, I want to rhyme. I want to rhyme. That's what I'm doing at nine years old. So now, fast forward a few years and big up the block. He goes from the guy up the block to the guy on TV every day and the guy on the radio 40 times a day and the guy who everybody's talking about this album. And this album is written about your neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like Ready to Die is about my neighborhood. So all those stories going on. I was a little kid, so I wasn't involved in any of that stuff. But that's the stuff that we saw every day as little kids. You know what I mean? So like Mm -hmm. that was all the inspiration I needed. I was already rhyming. And then to see somebody from up the block who you don't know them because you're a kid. And, you know, at the time, I'm 11, 12 years old. There's no 21-year-olds hanging out with 12-year-olds. You know what I mean? Like, right. so people ask me, like, yo, did you know him? Y'all used to kick it? And I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> I was, like, in the seventh grade. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was, like, 21. There's no, you know, junior high kids hanging out with 21-year-olds unless they hustling for him. You know what I mean? Right. And I wasn't. Right. So, you know, but we knew him from the neighborhood. We just knew him as the big guy up the block who everybody knew. He walked down the Fulton Street and he's shooting dice or he's, eating a sandwich or he's at the Chinese spot or the, the chicken spot or he's rolling the L or he's kicking it. You just were. You saw the same kind of OGs on the corner every day. Those OGs was Junior Mafia, you know? So um, wow. when it all came together and then one day you see a camera outside and they shooting the video for Juicy and you're like, yo, what's going on? 
And then three weeks yeah. later, that video was on TV. Yo, what's going on? Look at the neighborhood. <laughs> right. Oh, shit. Right. Like, and wow. then it just starts getting crazy. And then the Source magazine and everybody's talking about this guy. And it's like, yo, that's I'm up the block. <laughs> like, and it was like, and then he was incredible with the music. And it was just like, oh, forget it. If anybody doubted that it could happen, here's the proof that it could happen. You know, so that's the first part. Uh, the second part of the documentary, yeah, it's amazing. That whole thing is my neighborhood. I know yeah. every block that they on. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> okay. every block. I'm like, yep, they go so-and-so, they go so-and-so, they go that, they go that, they go that, they go this block, yep. Like, the entire documentary is my neighborhood, you know? So it, it was awesome. Shout out to D-Rock for putting that together. D-Rock is the homie. That's the OG. Me and him are real cool. And, uh, you know, he, he put that Netflix documentary together. I think it's the best one they've done. Because mm. I think the dope thing about it, I was talking to somebody about it when it first came out. It was the first piece that came out on him in that era of him and Pac and all that that didn't focus on mm. the trauma. Mm. They didn't even talk about how he got killed. Yeah. Right. And that was yeah. brilliant. I was waiting for that because it's what you expect. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you go to a, a you know a certain type of movie, you expect it to go a certain type of way. So you're like, oh, at some point they're going to get to when all this thing went bad and they're going to get to the footage and they're going to interview the family of how they felt. D-Rock ain't touched none of that. And I loved it. Yeah. And I guess because it's been touched so many times. times. It was yeah. just the celebration of so much stuff. Even me being from the neighborhood, there's so much stuff I didn't know. Like, I never saw his grandmoms and uncle and all of them in Jamaica. So I'm still learning stuff, even though I'm from the neighborhood. And that was amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, um, just sort of moving forward chronologically, I want to ask you about your debut LP um, mm-hmm. and, and the work with Duck Down. Um, you know, you had incredible producers on it. Just Blaze, Ninth Wonder. Um, I just want to, you know, g- given the success of the new one, I just want to, I just want to get your thoughts when you sort of reminisce and think back about the debut LP with Duck Down and sort of what that era was like for you and putting it together. Oh, it was everything, man. You know, there's a saying that I, I live by, and I've lived by it since before the album came out. Uh, you take your whole life to make your debut album. Mm-hmm. Every album after that yeah. took a year to make it or two years to make it or whatever. It, that first joint, you took 20-something years or however old you are, you know. So at the time, I was like 25 and uh, something like that, 25, 26 when I was working on it. Excuse me. And it was everything, man. I remember that like yesterday. I remember every studio session. I remember every turkey and cheese hero. <laughs> I remember, you know what I mean? Like, I, I remember, uh, you know, everything. The mix sessions, like my man Dan, the man who mixed it, he works at night. So... He's on some like, yo, get to the lab at midnight to start. Mm. Like he's one of those. I'm the opposite. You know what I mean? I like to, I'm one of the rare rappers. I work during the day, you know, Mm. even before having a kid and a family and all that, even when I was just running around, you know, in the street and doing my thing and, you know, no obligations to anybody. I like to be in the lab like two o'clock and be out of there by like eight. You Mm. know what I mean? I could go home, watch the game, get a drink. At right. the time, you know, I, I don't got no obligations. I can go get with a, with a female. You know, like, I yeah. like my night. You know what I mean? Like, we worked for six, seven hours. I'm out of here, you know. But for my man Dan the Man, he liked to work, you know, 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I remember all of that. And, and it was beautiful, man. Um, I loved everything about putting that album together. You know, when you're young and it's just you and, and what you're going after, you just throw everything at it, you know, so I'm, I'm, you know, 
doing sessions with this one and I'm, I'm okay. What if we, what if we brought violins and strings in on here? And what if we did this? And what if we, you're just ready to go all out, you know, and it's a great way to be that, that young hunger, you know, that young hunger of just being ready. And that's what I think about when I think about that album and just stories that I wanted to tell forever. Like for instance, if you look at, um, for what it's worth on the record, which, uh, you know, one of the joints, a lot of people fell in love with the record about me getting fired and all that type of stuff. So the album came out in 09. That situation really happened to me in 2006. Mm. So that was the last job I ever had at Morgan Stanley. And then once I got fired, I was like, I'm never looking for a job again. I'm done with that. And thank God I haven't had to. Like, I haven't had a traditional nine to five since 2006. So anyway, when that happened, the moment it went down, I was livid. I'm steam coming out of my ears. I'm hot. And I said to myself, yo, this is a song. This story is a song. I'm at work, nine to five, button-up shirt, tie, hard-bottom shoes, slacks, whatever, opposite of rapper guy. And my man calls me while I'm on my lunch break, talking about getting my hands dirty and making some money. Y'all know the story, if, if you do. Um, I'm on the phone with him, turning it down. Like, yo, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I got this job. Yo, you sure? Yo, we can make X amount of dollars, boom, boom, boom. Yo, we about to go out of town. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm saying I'm good. For so long, I get back to work late and I get fired. Yo, coming late from the job, from the lunch, boom, boom, boom. You late, come on, enough is enough. Yo, we got to can you. That's literally what happened. And I'm like, yo, I was turning down the wrong thing to do the right thing and I got Mm. canned for it. And I was like, yo, this is a song. This is a song. So that situation happened three years out, but I put that in my pocket because I was like, this needs to go on the debut album. That was the moral of that story. Like, I was like, yo, this needs to go on a debut album. All those things, man, they say you take your, your, your whole life to make your first album. So that album was 26 or so years in the making. Word. That's Thank a great you. story. Thanks for Thank that, that background. Um, something that struck me today when I was listening to um, the, your album, The Bluest Note with Dumbo Station, is mm-hmm. that the song uh, We Used to Live in Brooklyn, Baby, is kind of a prequel uh, to the, or maybe it's not, you tell me, is it kind of, you're heading in the direction of the themes of all the beautiful things. And I was just wondering if you could speak to um, kind of the gentrification aspect of things and how long this has been on your mind. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it was definitely a prequel for all the brilliant things. Um, definitely was a prequel. You know, uh, when I was putting the record together, as far as Dumbo Station, you know, uh, the bluest note, the whole thing being a jazz EP and everything being played from scratch with the band and, you know, just the jazz element. And I just had that idea. I was like, yo, I want to redo. We live in Brooklyn, baby. It really was about flipping the most deaf joint. Obviously the OG is the Roy is, but it really was about flipping the most deaf joint. As you can hear all throughout the record where I take a lot of his cadences and schemes and kind For of sure. rework them and rewrite them. So it was me flipping that on some, that's what was going on in 99. Yeah, that album dropped in 99. Now, you know, I wrote that record in 2019. So that's 20 years later. You know what I mean? It came out in 2020, but I wrote it in yeah. 2019. So that's 20 years later. That's what Brooklyn was in 99 when most was sitting on the stoop talking about what's up. This is me sitting on the stoop in 2019 and what's changed and what hasn't. And uh, yeah, so totally. And it was a prequel. It was a way to be like, this is definitely on the way, this album, as far as gentrification and cultural appropriation and all that stuff. So here's a little jab. Here's a teaser. Here's a tester to let you know what's coming. Let me see mm-hmm. how the people react to it. And yeah. you know, that was that. And it was a record I wanted to flip for a while. 
but this was the perfect project to do it on because it's a jazz joint with the Roy ears and all that. It was a jazz record. So this was the right time yeah. to flip that record. I wanted to touch that record for a while just because I love most. He's one of my favorite rappers. And I was like, I want to touch that record. This was the right time to do it. Just a quick follow-up and thank you for that. I was wondering like how long that idea had been kind of simmering with you as well to do something with live instruments, because I feel like you rhymed over a lot of jazzy mm-hmm. stuff, but then you rhymed over jazz and like that, that's, the difference is not just one letter right it's a whole different approach so you can just speak to that a little bit and then we'll kind of close no i've wanted to do that forever um being a jazz head being a guy who like we talked about on the salvation i mean my debut album had live instrumentation all over it you know Mm -hmm. i brought in trumpet players i brought in live keys i brought in literally violins and saxophones like i did all that stuff on my own nobody else did that no night for nobody. That was me, like making phone calls and getting with people and and building on that and paying for that stuff. So I've wanted to do the live instrumentation full album or full project forever. You know what I mean? I always wanted to get my my black thought on and, and pull a roots card. Like I always wanted to <laughs> just because I'm such a jazz head. So I know music and I appreciate it. It's more than just, you know, let's just whip up a beat on the MP, which I love. I grew up on that and I'm still on that to this day and I always will be. But I always wanted to flex that muscle of like, let me get with a band and do a whole live joint with a band. No drum machine, no no this, no that, no looping off a record. Just let's play and see what happens. And with that record, I co-produced a lot of that stuff because I was coming up with a lot of the arrangements. So I would mm-hmm. go to my man on the keys and be like, yo, what if we played it like this? Then I'd go to the drums and be like, yo, what if we went boom, 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 boom. Like I was coming up with a lot of those arrangements for that stuff and they were bringing it to life and knocking it out the park. But a lot of those arrangements, I was sitting there putting the sounds together in the patterns, especially drum stuff. And mm. I was putting a lot of those patterns together. So I, I kind of Quincy Jones did a little bit. I kind of co-produced mm. you know, the entire project and I loved it, man. It's something I would love to do again. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I want to ask you about a song on all the brilliant things called I Was Supposed to Be a Trap Rapper, which is a a really interesting song where you kind of break down um, these different lanes between trap and and backpack and kind of how you occupy this interesting middle ground. I wanted to ask, though, is that something that you uh, that happened to you that you kind of got put in those lanes or is that kind of a sound that you uh, were trying to cultivate and kind of it came out of an intention. I think it's both. You know, I, I think it's both. The way you described it is exactly, you know, the lanes and it's exactly what it, what I was getting across on that. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always great when people get it, you know, um, kind of was both, you know, like, like I said on the record, I grew up in a certain world. I grew up where, you know, my friends was running around doing X, Y, Z. And, and when you, when you with your friends, you with your friends, you know, mm-hmm. so we 15, 14, I'm in my man crib playing NBA Live and he's chopping rocks like right next to me. You know what I mean? Like mm. that was the world I live in. I don't know too many quote unquote backpack rappers who grew up like that at 14, 15 years old. You know, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I don't know too many of them who do and if who grew up like that. And if they did, it's not really known. Like that's mm. not a part of their music or their story. It's always been a part of mine. If you go to the very first records I did, I mean, the first record anybody heard me on that, anybody cared about I still had a job and I was a nobody was the bodega 
You know what I mean? With ninth. And if you listen to that in 2006, I'm talking about my man running around with the thing and he got pieces on him and over a, a, a ninth wonder, quote unquote, backpack beat. But I'm talking about that life but mm-hmm. from a certain way. Like I've always I posted about it the other day. Intricate, educated corner store rap. Like I've always mm-hmm. done that. It's always been me talking about what's going on outside because I understand it because I grew up around that. But I also grew up a certain way where I went to certain schools. You know, I took certain courses in college. I got certain grades in school. I was always advanced placement in certain subjects. So I look at it in a different light. So when I break it down, I'm not just like, yo, we in the trap getting it. I'm like, no, this is why the trap exists. This is why it's a real life thing. This is why, believe it or not, it's important. But this is how you can get to the bottom of it and kind of get rid of it while helping these people out and not just throwing them in the bing. Like I've always done intricate, educated street rap, you know, always. But sometimes mm. they get lost because it's quote unquote backpack because of the producers I use or the type of drums I like. And that's cool. But the message and the story is there and lyricism and the entendres and, and the beauty of the art is there. So those who find it, they feel like they found a gym, you know. So back to the origin of the question, you know, I, I grew up around all that. So if I was to follow the lead of the way I grew up and what I grew up around, Mm-hmm. I would be making trap rap. I would be Meek Mill. Mm-hmm. I would be, you know, and, and that's not a knock on any of them. Meek is dope, sure, you know. Sure. But I would be making Meek Mill type records. I would be making New York Migos stuff. I would be, you know, yeah, that yeah. would be my world because that's the world I grew up in. You know what I mean? But and from from the nineties though, you know what I mean? But that's right. so right. I grew up on. You know, we was listening to State Prop. We was listening. The Locks is my favorite group of all time, bar none. You know, yeah, what yeah. I mean? I'd go to go to war for the Locks any day of the week if I have to. You know, like the locks and state prop and dip set like that's what we was listening to. But I was also listening to, you know, Q-tip amplified, you know, Slumville, you know, fantastic volume one and two and, you know, little brother, you know, the listening and foreign exchange all at the same time while I was listening to this other stuff. And my friends was like, yo, what's that? What's that? They're not on the radio. What's that? And I was, I was listening to both, you know, I was at, Beat Street and Music Factory and all that stuff. And then I was at Fat Beats, you know? So I was like, I was in this world of even these different record stores. You know, you couldn't get some of that stuff at Beat Street or Music Factory, but you could get it at Fat Beats, you know? Like I was in both worlds. And um, I just decided to make a record about it. It came from a conversation I had with uh, one of my friends. He he had just got home from jail. Talked about him twice on the album. On Rich Rhetoric, I said, you know, my man caught a bad one, son. Lawyers was fighting. He bit it, came home, called me while I was writing, reunited, mm-hmm. like, the best song on the second Woo shit. So, like, that literally happened. I was writing rich rhetoric, and I write on my phone, so I'm interrupted by a phone call, and it's my man from a number that I don't have because he's been in the joint for five years. Yo, yo, what up? Yo, it's me. Boom, boom, I just got out. Oh, word? Yo, what up? Boom, boom, congrats, da 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 so that's why I threw him in the song. Cause like, yo, he just mm. interrupted the rhyme. That's kind of cool. So I, it just was in the moment and I wrote that or whatever. So then like a month later, he, you know, we was talking, he called me and he was like, yo man, you know, I'm home. I'm trying to, you know, get into the rap shit, but can we curse? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yo, you good. All right, all right, I'm sorry. Good. <laughs> I should have asked him again. So he's like, yo, you know, trying to get into the rap shit and um, trying, you know, do the right thing and, and stay home and all that. You're the only person I know in the rap shit. So like, you know, if you could help me, whatever you could do, point me in the right direction. And I'm like, of course, like whatever you need. He's like, yeah, I got some some drill kids. I got some kids, you know, doing the drill shit and I'm trying to get it on or whatever, you know, whoever you think I need to get with or whatever I need to do. And he literally said, he was like, yo, I know you do 
I know you, you know, you do the backpack skateboard Joey badass type <laughs> shit, but you know, let me know if you can help me in this world. And I laughed. I said, son, I never made a skateboard record in my life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, you know and, and he laughed and he was like, nah, nah, you know what I mean? He was like, Yo, you know, I love your shit. You know, I think you're the nicest rapper ever, but he was like, you know, your shit is the other side of the fence. Your shit is right. underground and you know, this right. drill shit is mainstream and, and drill and trappy. He was like, the kids is on that. I'm trying to get this money. I'm gonna fuck with these kids. And I was like, nah, no doubt. So I wasn't offended because I knew what he was trying to say. I knew what yeah. he was trying to explain. And when I hung up the phone, the idea came to me. And I was like, I was supposed to be a trap rapper. If you really <laughs> dig into my background, I was supposed to be a trap rapper. Like I was in a group with Stack Bundles. You know, some, yeah. people, know some people don't. I was yeah. in a group with him at 17, 18 years old. I was supposed to be a trap rapper. I was supposed to go that way. Right. But I was also listening to all this Dilla and all this Tribe and this Dela while I was listening to the other shit. And I, I just found this world in the middle. And then being affiliated with certain people put me in this world whether yeah. I wanted to or not. It just so happened that I was cool with it because the music I was making was like a hybrid. But being affiliated with Ninth early on and being affiliated with LB, who I love, and being affiliated with, you know, certain people, it made people assume, oh, he that. Cool, no yeah. doubt. He's one of us, no doubt. And right. I'm like, all right, but my friends ain't. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> my friends is different guys, man. But, you know, it. I'm, I created this world that makes a lot of sense. And then I started seeing... I started seeing other artists come out mm. similar thing. And that, that's what I was going to ask you in terms of like, uh, do you feel like, uh, and you, you kind of mentioned this on the record, but I just want you to expound on it a little bit. Um, do you feel like when you look around the game and you see a lane that you created that others are kind of moving through right now? Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Like I spoke about it multiple times on the record on free jewelry, you know, how can I be a Paul when it was raised by me, you know, soft mm -hmm. eyes when I said, you know, you know, I forgot the line. I said how they came for me and, you know, I was too busy trying to save a culture to double back. Like I didn't even notice because I was too busy trying to create this music that served a certain purpose. I didn't mm -hmm. even really take the time to look around and be like, yo, look at all these motherfuckers being me. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, yeah. so, and then really on Trap Rapper, you know, on the hook at the end when I said, you know, but shout to the hybrids who followed on my road. Right. You know, yeah. like, yeah, there's a lot of them. There's, and I'm, I'm cool with that. Like, that's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it just shows that what I'm doing is important. So whether you know me, whether you don't, you know me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because there's guys who are some of the biggest artists in the world who came from that, without a doubt, because they've told me. This isn't even me. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't even me being funny. Like, they've told me. Yo, thank you, bro. Thank you. You the reason I move the way I move with, with my pen. They've told me that. You know what I mean? So there it is. I don't really got to do that. So even if you don't know me, you know me. You know what I mean? Mm. You, you, every, all that stuff you bumping came from this university. You know what I mean? So, but <laughs> it's cool. Still, man. I, it's, I don't feel bad at all. I'm not upset. And I, it's not a diss to anybody. I, I love, I love that. I salute that. And, and, you know, I, I yeah, I love it. Mm. You know? Uh, you mentioned uh, affiliations earlier, and my next question has to do with collaborations. And, um, you know, you've already had a long history. We mentioned Just Blaze and Ninth Wonder earlier. Um, you've also collaborated with Pete Rock and uh, um, Apollo Brown. Um, just, a, you know, it seems like you have a, a sort of executive production mind state. So I want to know if you had to pick one producer to move forward with an album, who would it be and why? Somebody that I worked with already? No, dream producer. Oh, okay. 
Uh, man. You know, I've been blessed to have knocked that list down kind of crazy. Right, right. But um, there's a few out there. Me and Mad Lib, I think, would be nuts. <laughs> hey. Me and Sky Lib, I'm here for it. <laughs> Sky Lib. Um, me and Pharrell would be nuts. I think my dream, and those, I mean, both of those would be amazing. I think my dream, though, if I could get 10 to 12 records with one producer, would be Q-Tip. Oh, wow. I think mm-hmm. that would be, I think I would tap out after that. Yeah, yeah. If I, I did that, I think, I think I would tap out after that. I think I'd be like, all right, I'm good. Yeah. I did it all. Like, we good. Like, if he did all 12 joints, we in the lab together every day for a couple weeks, and he been cooking beats up, and I'm in there writing and going crazy, and then we adding all this instrumentation, and he's doing these cool hooks with his voice and all that, mm. I'm out after that, probably. Maybe not. But, but <laughs> I, I, would feel, I would feel better tapping out after. I was like, oh, yeah, we good. We good. Yeah, that's a, that sounds incredible. That's a really good answer. Um, that This is a nice kind of path forward for what I wanted to ask you about this new record, All the Brilliant Things, is I when I listened to it without having read the credits, I assumed it was either a small group of producers or a one producer album because it's so cohesive. Um, looking at the credits and seeing that there are so many different people, um, I'm wondering, how did you achieve such a cohesive sound working with so many different people? Did you just get huge packs and <laughs> pick what you wanted from them? Or did you tell people what you wanted and then it came back? If you could just let yeah. us into that world of how you built it. It was a little bit of a mixture. Um, the My process for picking beats, I just like what I like. <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's kind of simple. I, I like what I like. I could hear a beat in the first 15 15 seconds, I know if I like that beat or not. I don't got to hear the whole thing. If I hear the whole thing, it's because I really, really like it and I don't want the beat to stop. And I'm enjoying just listening to it. I could tell in 15 seconds, I'll skip. That's why I don't like listening to people beat CDs in front of them. Because they may feel I'm disrespecting them. It's not that I'm disrespecting. I, I could tell off the rip. Like, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, that one's crazy. Okay. Yeah, write that down. Okay. I'm good. I'm good. Yo, yo, that one. Okay, bring that back. Like, that's why I don't like listening to BCDs in front of people because they'll think I'm dissing them. Like, yo, you yeah. playing my shit, son. Like, I know what I like, and it's quick. It happens really quick, man. Um, mm. So with this project, I knew I strive to make everything cohesive, you know, all cohesion throughout all my stuff. Every album I feel like is a mood, a theme, story-wise, sonically, musically, the whole vibe. And with this, is it's not going to be no different. And I just wanted stuff that just felt a certain way, you know, that that was it. it. It wasn't really too much overthought in it, but that's purposely why I didn't go to a lot of quote unquote, large name, household name producers. Like you named a, a bunch of people uh, that I've worked with. I could have easily went back to Apollo, Ilman, Pete Rock, all of them. You know what I mean? Like those are my guys, Just Blaze, oh, I could, yo, let me get something, boom, boom, boom. And I could have built that, but I didn't want to talk about the album to be who was on it. I didn't want it to be, yo, you heard the so-and-so joint? You heard the such-and-such joint? <laughs> yo, he got that one joint with so-and-so. Most people don't, they're not talking about who did what beat because they don't even really know. Yeah. They're just like, yo, this thing is a piece of art. This thing is a masterpiece. This thing is a body of work. And I did that on purpose. That's why there's no rap features on That's one of the reasons. Another reason is because if you didn't grow up with me, how are you going to tell this story with me that's literally about a neighborhood? You know, so I got a record like a tour of the neighborhood, and St. James Liquors. If you're not from St. James, how can you rap about that? If you you, know, you didn't grow up on my block, how do you rhyme on a tour of the neighborhood? So if I could sing, I wouldn't have had no singers on it. 
I would have just yeah. would have been a soliloquy, you know what I mean? But I can't sing. So Raheem, BJ, Ciolene, Aria, you know, because I can't yeah, sing. Right. But if I could, this thing would have been a soliloquy for real, you know. But mm-hmm. um, so that was the science behind all that. But I love the fact that it doesn't sound like a bunch of different people did it. No, no. You know, because no, I think no. when I think about like, you know, to me, the greatest hip hop album of all time is Illmatic. And that's taking me out of it so there's no bias um, is Illmatic. And when you think about Illmatic, how he had like nine records and seven producers on those nine records, but it sounds like one producer, that was the genius of what Lost Professor did, picking all those beats. You know, like that was the genius of him taking Nas to Q-Tip House, going to see Pete, going to see LES, you know, all that type of stuff. That was the genius of what he did, of this whole thing sounds like one, one chef made it, but there was like eight chefs in the kitchen, you know, so... I strive for that when I make records, whether it's one producer or nine or 10 producers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for uh, taking us, taking us behind your curtain there. Uh, (laughs) As we kind of wrap here, I want to ask a question. It's a highly political question. We've asked other rappers from other cities. Um, We're doing, what is your Brooklyn Mount Rushmore? That's four, four rappers. We did this to Chicago rappers and they gave us like 12 rappers. <laughs> it's four. <laughs> and we, we get it. BK has got so a lot many. Of heat. They, got, they yeah. got a lot of guys. Um, yeah, as, does, as does Brooklyn. But if you had yeah. to pick four, who would they be? That's really difficult, man. Um, can we be a two-side mountain? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me, let like me ask this. this. Would it just be two? Because we got, we, you have to put Jay Z and Big, right? Is that those, those are just exactly. confirmed slots? I was right? just gonna say, I, I already wrote down Biggie. So if you want to give us the other three, yeah. So I mean, it's only two because you got to put Jay, like you said, it's Biggie right. and Jay for sure. Oh my gosh, um, you got Kane, mm-hmm. you got um, you know, you got oh my gosh, I'm looking at all these guys' faces before I even say them. You got Buck, you got yeah. Ed, Special Ed, you got Sean Price. You got, I mean, I'm not gonna put myself just to keep it unbiased. Um, oh my gosh, we got the genius. Yeah, this is awful. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't scratched no surface. You got MOP, right? Oh my gosh, yeah, I don't know. This is awful. I don't yeah, know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put me there twice and call it a day. Nah. <laughs> he, said, he said, give me two sky zooms. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know, man. I think you got to put Kane there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You got to put Kane, right? Because there's no J without Kane. Right. You got to put Kane. My brother Price, man. Oh, man. You got Ace. three? Ace. Yeah. Gosh. Ace was bananas. This is awful. I don't know, man. <laughs> we got you to a solid three. Let's put, let's put you know, let's put price. Let's put price. Sean P. Okay. There, there it is. There it is. That's that's healthy. Yeah. All right. All right, P Sean P. We 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 appreciate you indulging that. And we love the album. We do a, a big kind of end of year album of the year uh argument debate. And I feel like all the brilliant things is giving all albums a run for their money. So uh big yeah, fans I- of the work, man. No, thank you. Thank you. You know, um, just to touch on that, you know, I, 
listen, I'm gonna be people gonna think I'm being biased when I say that it is the album of the year. You know, we're in July, so we got what five more months, you know, right. of, uh, of people to drop albums. Who knows who's gonna drop, you know? But right. I look at it like this, man. The things I'm doing on this record, nobody's doing, right? Like mm. if you look at the concept of gentrification, people have done gentrification albums, you know, for sure, for sure, or have done gentrification songs or touched on it and things like that. It's not this brand new concept, but the way I tackled it, the way I approached it, the way I touched it, the way I made it about Brooklyn, but not about Brooklyn. Mm. Of you from anywhere, wherever y'all from, you from anywhere, you get it. You know, when Best Eyes Burning dropped, I had people in South Africa, I had people in Germany, I had people in London hitting me like, yo, this record is about my neighborhood and it's yep. about London or Germany. You know what I mean? It, like they live out there, you know? So being able to do that on a concept and a subject matter is so specific to one place because this album is talking about what's happening in Brooklyn. But the fact that people in London and South Africa and Germany and Detroit and Chicago and LA and Philly can all relate, boom, that's check one. You know, I don't, I don't really know about anybody else able to pull that off right now or who's deciding to pull that off. Then if you look into the way it was put together, you know, sonically, the music and, you know, the way, okay, he adds the jazz element, he, he adds the trumpets and all that stuff, but it doesn't sound like a jazzy Starbucks cafe album. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's the one thing people are always like, yo, how do you do that? And I'm like, I can't give everything away, but like, <laughs> you know, um, just most of the time when, when people add jazz to their hip hop, it becomes a Starbucks album. And that's fine. That's yeah, cool. No, you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it becomes a Starbucks album. But my stuff is is dirty, is, you know, drum breaks and, and ill samples and loops. And then you got these vocals of people coming in singing. And then there's live trumpet sections going off for yeah. like two minute solos, but it doesn't sound out of pocket or out of place. It's never like, why is that there? You take a record like Rich Rhetoric, where I'm talking about my man, you know, put his arm in the O's like Vince Sanity, arms deep in the O's like Vince Sanity. And I'm talking about my man, you know, lawyers was fighting in the courtroom because of his case and all that. And then you got a trumpet solo and it right. makes sense, you know, so you got that element. Then you got the lyricism and you got, you know, a record like like Rich Rhetoric where there's a four, there's a four part entendre. There's a quadruple there, you know, like. So I'll, I'll break it down and then we go because I know I got another Zoom right after this one. But <laughs> to me, it's important to build with yeah, the dad yeah. bods, You know what I mean? So we're going to build with the dad bod, which I love the title of the podcast, by the way. Thank it's you. Fucking amazing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, okay, so we break it down real quick in 30 seconds. Flip A to Z and crew is word to a phase on all love or whichever part that the phase on. All right, so here we go. One, A to Z and cruise. So you're getting from A to Z, you know, and then cruise, you're trying to take off. So that's one. Okay, cool. Flip A to Z and Cruz. Okay, you got the rapper AZ. His last name is Cruz, oh. Anthony Cruz. Flip A to Z and Cruz. Word to a phase on. Okay, AZ Cruz. So AZ, the rapper, but also AZ from Harlem, the paid in full story. Right. AZ, that's Ace in the movie, but his real name is AZ. His name is AZ Phazon. Flip A to Z and Cruz. Word to a phase on. So now I'm saying AZ Cruz as in the rapper AZ, but then I'm also saying AZ phase on flip A to Z and cruise and take off word to a phase on. Then I, so that's three. Then I say phase on all love or whichever part that the phase on, you got the active phase on love. That's four. So no one's doing that. <laughs> so when, so when it's time for this album of the year talk, like I don't want to hear more, you know what I mean? I'm just being honest. Like I, no one's doing that. And I'm doing it. it. 14 records. 
I appreciate the decoded segment for sure, man. I usually oh, yeah. feel like I get it, but I definitely did not get the thing about AZ's real name. That's pretty oh, good. Oh, man. His last yeah. name is Cruz. <laughs> yeah. AZ oh, Cruz and then AZ and then AZ Faison. <sighs> you know, they was beefing about the name when AZ the Rapper came out and all that stuff. And AZ Faison and then Faison Love and then it keeps going. And then there's another, there's a double <laughs> later on when I said uh, 100,000 years in the coop to set the stage for a scene set. Play your role and bet your scene stretch. Carry the loop forever like it was keep sweat. Bet it last. <laughs> so then you got carry the loop forever like it was keep sweat. But, bet it last. Okay, keep sweat. Make it last forever. Right. Why Gary sampled that. So right. when you sample something, it kind of lives forever because forever. you're giving it new life. Oh, so man. carry the loop. Carry Mariah Carey. Carry the loop forever oh, like man. it was keep sweat. Bet it last. Man. Oh, man. I, I, I really... we. We never had anybody, number one, break down their quadruple entendre on the program and also make a really good case for, for why album of the year. So, uh, man, we, we really appreciate you coming on. It is it is an incredible album. Uh, and yeah, we going to see. But you have been heard for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Man. I appreciate y'all and peace and love. You know, obviously, it's called Dad, Dad Bots. All of y'all are dads. So it's dad love always because I'm in the same boat. You know, I'm so surprised Miles hasn't come down here yet. Community <laughs> <laughs> hasn't busted in the basement yet and, and jumped on me. So yeah, you already know. Peace and love to y'all, man. I appreciate the time and the support for real. Peace. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much, man. Have a good I appreciate one. you. Thank you. Dad Bod Rap Pod, that was our interview with Sky Zoo, who made a passionate, impassioned uh, case for his album to be album of the year. That is a first here on the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Um, it's hilarious to me that anyone of his stature cares about such things, which is, is really cool. Cause I feel like the album of the year shit is just like a nerd game we play. It's like your favorite player. I don't think cares about the fantasy team. Right. Um, but uh, he, he made, he made a really compelling argument. Uh, Nate sky zoo unpacked a quadru quadruple entendre. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty cool. Live on air. How cool is that? It, it was great. Um, and uh, yeah, and like, you know, I consider myself to be like, I think I told him this, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago at this point, but I'm like, I, I consider myself to get it kind of like, yeah, I, I, I didn't like I've said this before on the show, I didn't need to read Jay Z's decoded. That's for like, aunties. Yeah. like, I know what yeah. Jay Z is talking about. Like, it's just not not, you know, we're rap rap listeners, rap heads, we understand entendres and whatnot. But I did not get one aspect of that. And it was really cool. But just to briefly touch on what you were saying in the the intro to the outro, if you will, Damone, like, I think, yeah, it's like he made an Oscar film. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, he, he yeah, wants, right. he's, he's coming right. for Best Picture, and he got yep. fucking Daniel Day-Lewis and <laughs> yeah, uh, Thelma <laughs> Schoonmaker and uh, the best costume guy and the, you know, yeah, the best yeah. sound department. And 
if you yeah. don't win the Oscar, it's like then you just kind of made a you know, I don't yeah. know, like a period piece or whatever. So <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's kind of how I see that, and it, it is cool that he took took an interest in that, and it it, they, it matters. They care. Yeah, totally. no, no, totally, because because rappers, uh, as we saw last year, when when uh, Quelle Chris and and Rap Forever were going back and forth about who had the album of the year, rappers are very much proud of their own work. It's part of the character. Uh, it, your your comment makes me think, though, Nate. Um, now that the Grammys is like a little bit more inclusive, can could we get a Sky Zoo Grammy nod, Dave? You're you're an industry insider. <laughs> Um, I would say all the best shit loses. So probably yep. not. Um, I yep. mean, if, if Freddie Gibbs and Alchemist last year couldn't get the Grammy, then what then, the fuck, you know, yeah, who can, um, but I, you know, I love the fact that you brought up his explanation of, um, of those couplets. Cause, um, it just shows the level of forethought that went into this album, you know, and yep. Nate's Nate's corollary to it being a film totally like he he's going for it. Like this is like yep. a, a, a can festival, you know, yes. type type presentation and it's all there you know it is a full statement i mean even if the cover art is really cool yeah. so yep. yeah man um definitely enjoying the album definitely enjoy our enjoyed our talk it was really it's yeah. always good to like you know like we do these interviews and you walk away and you're like i've heard that album a hundred times but i'm gonna listen to it one more time after speaking to the yep. artist yep. and this was one of those and um i found it very re- rewarding yeah, he's he's a he's a a rapper but also a rap head which mm-hmm. is not always those don't always intersect, right? Um, and so we, we thank him for coming on the program and, and chatting with us. Um, it's been an amazing run for the dad bods. Uh, I am at current bursting with anticipation to announce things that we can't announce right now. Yes. Uh, but one thing that we can announce that I'm, I'm really proud of and I've been, uh, I've been pinging anybody who will listen about this. My guys, Nate and Dave, are doing the liner notes for the To Whom It May Concern Freestyle Fellowship reissue. Like, yes. Uh, yes. Talk to me about that. How did that come about? Like, what what is your guys' thought process been behind it? Because no pressure, you only have to contextualize <laughs> one of the most <laughs> seminal recordings of all time. It came about because John Sklute from Key System Recordings Mm. has been slowly behind the scenes for many, many years, painstakingly trying to draw this album to the forefront, talking to Jupe, getting the original Dusty Reels, all that Uh. shit. And so um, to your point uh, earlier, Damone, I mean, yeah, it, it, it was quite a heavy job to contextualize everything. Certainly one of the most important rap records of all time, certainly from the West Coast. And um, there was a lot. Uh, we went through and talked to every member who was on the recording, as well as wow. um, some some of the engineers. And there, there's a lot there, there's a lot to it. I don't want to give away too much. Nate, you can you can jump in here. Yeah, um, Sklute is a buddy of mine. He's one of the few people I've done solo sit down interviews with for the show. Um, uh, conscientious DBRP listeners will remember our episode on uh, aging gracefully in hip hop and yeah, uh, such a yeah. good episode doing yeah, uh, really loving uh, detail oriented giving credit where credit is due reissues of four track right. backpack rap and bringing it into the modern era and writing 
long detailed essays about it is one way to age gracefully in hip hop. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I actually have to thank Dave. Like he was approached first. He kind of brought me into this. I really appreciate that. And like, I love this record. Like this record yeah. is extremely yeah. important to me and I've listened to it many, many times and we'll have more info as the date draws nearer on some of the details of it. But like, let me just say like when that pre-order link goes live, you're going to want to make sure to click it. Okay. Totally, okay. totally. And I, I don't want to make this about us too much, but totally, just, just frankly, about the music. And yes. I don't want to, this sounds very cliche, but dude, the the way that this was remastered, it it sounds like you've never heard it before. I know, it sounds okay. so cliche. It's okay. such an old trope to say that, but just okay. wait. Just wait. Yeah. I mean, the, oh, no, I'm excited. These guys have I'm like excited. no budget. You know what I mean? They yeah. were so yeah. like young and they were doing, yeah, We it's all, it's all in the, things we've we've written but uh you know wow. it's it's not about us it is about ac alone mike and nine self jupiter jay sumbi uh peace uh md himself uh ganja k remix daddy kev remastered ganja k hugely important to the Brian thing. crosses pictures exactly just, just yeah we're, huge, we're lucky collaborative effort have a chance to try to bring in some of the what uh, what else was going on at this time into like frankly like writing about rap music like i really like describing it i really like thinking about it and why it's important so just a right. super super dope project um Man. that we're really happy to be a part of yeah Man. uh super proud of y'all for for thanks, being involved. Bud. thanks buddy. uh and you know i think it's part of um what i'll say is a movement i do think uh cats of a certain age are looking around and saying that the music from our formative years is actually important it's not it's not disposable. Even things that weren't commercially super available are super important. So glad to hear that's coming out. Looking forward to reading the liner notes. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll have more uh, announcements and surprises for the dad bods. We keep rolling along. Uh, we enjoy doing this and we're very thankful that you keep tapping in. You can check for dad bod rap pod on Twitter at dad bod rap pod. Uh, we are also on Instagram at Dad Bod Rap Pod. I don't know if you guys have noticed, I've started updating the Facebook. Oh, they, don't nice. have, they don't have Facebook, but yeah. I've started updating the Facebook again for for my over fifty crowd. Uh, boomers, <laughs> boomers, connect with us on Facebook. Um, and yeah, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a labor of love here at the Dad Bod Rap Pod.
Tony Island Audio.